Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 17, Failsafe, which I completely forgot about this episode until I read the description. I was like, oh, that's right. It's it's the Armageddon episode, which, I know, I that too. <laughs> which apparently it's, it's uh, Asteroid Week on podcasting because the Cobra guys just did commentary for Armageddon earlier this week. <laughs> Oh, really? So when that downloaded and I started, I was like, this is a lot like the, sh- the episode. Huh. No. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, th- I was kind of surprised they didn't make more fun of, like, you know, more fun of themselves. Uh, they do a couple a t- couple yeah. of jabs in there, but not that yes. much. And I, I thought there could have definitely been some room for more of, like, should we call in Bruce Willis? <laughs> should, we, <laughs> should we call in the where's, oil where's, guy? Where's, where's Ben Affleck? Steve Buscemi available? You yeah. Know. <laughs> that would have been uh, funny but yes it totally was like sg1 saves the world again and with no their own little knows. stargate twist yes. yes it's armageddon with a twist with a twist yeah mm-hmm. um okay before we get into the episode real quick i just want to say thank you to maverick 84 on the discord who last week we were like what's that one that episode where tilk had like one line and that line became the joke or whatever. Yes. About how, so it's the Incarn homeworld has no Stargate. Yes. Yep. And as soon as they put that in there, I was like, yeah, oh, that's what it is. Yes. There it is. So, well remembered. There it thank is. you. So thank you, Maverick. We appreciate it. I knew I knew yep. somebody would pull through for us. So. Yay. Okay. So as we said, this is Failsafe. It originally aired on April 5th, 2002. I got it right this week. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, it was written by Joseph Malati, Paul Mully, directed by Andy Makita. And on the commentary, we had Andy, Paul, Jim Menard, and James Titchener, since this is a very, like, visual effects-heavy episode. So it was fun to have those guys on and talking about right. all of the visual effects they do in the the kind of discussions they had to have when they're doing the space shots of, like, where's the light coming from? Which way is up? And, you know, to making sure all of the elements are aligned properly. Yeah. And that takes a bit of discussion. So Yeah. Yeah. So in this episode, Earth finds itself threatened by something even larger than the ghoul when they learn that an asteroid is on a collision course with the planet. Oh my god. And did you did you totally see the twist coming? Well, I mean, I remembered what happened as soon as I remembered the episode. I'm like, oh, that's right. This is what they do at the end. So, But I think at the time I would have been like, oh, that's amazing. That's genius. They're so smart. I probably I probably was shocked and amazed at my initial viewing of it. So there was a lot of <gasps> yes going like, on. Like Jack, you want to ride an asteroid through Earth? They're gonna ride an asteroid through Earth. How cool! Yes, they are. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. So this episode we open with a guy like out by a pond. He's got like a camper and a dog, and the dog. FYI from the commentary belongs to executive producer Michael Greenberg. Oh, okay. And uh, he's talking to somebody on the phone about an object he saw up in the sky because he's got like a telescope with him that he spotted in the Cassiopeia constellation. Uh, whoever he's talking to doesn't appear to believe him about something being there because he's like, it's there. If you can't see it, you're an idiot, basically. And he's just yeah. going to keep calling and calling about it until... Then two large black SUVs pull up. We see four military officers and a couple guys in plain suits. And he's like, never mind. Oh, all right. I've been talking to the right and or wrong people the whole yeah. time. I thought yeah. it was going to turn out to be a spaceship. 
Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would have been an interesting idea too. Yes. Because we have had motherships visit us before and somehow nobody has seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would you like some fun facts about Cassiopeia? Would I? I don't, would you, I'm I ask, would. I'm asking you. Would you uh, okay. I would. Okay. I wanted to think and answer correctly. Yes. Great. Okay. Because I did do some research. <laughs> so. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> so Cassiopeia is the mother of Andromeda and the queen of ancient Ethiopia, which is a region near the Nile River in Sudan and part of like the Southern Sahara region. Mm -hmm. uh, Cassiopeia was put into the sky by Poseidon after bragging that her daughter was more beautiful than any of the sea nymphs. Some stories say she bragged about herself being more beautiful, but like the majority are like my daughter Andromeda mm. is the most beautiful of all the creation, basically. What's a mother to do? I know. Just brag about it. If your daughter's mm -hmm. beautiful, why not brag about it? Yeah. So that's why they're up there. Uh, the constellation is visible in the northern sky and was first listed by Ptolemy back in the second century. It's made, it's mainly of, if you know, those five stars that make up a W, mm -hmm. that's Cassiopeia. Ah, okay. Uh, there's a, there was also a Navy ship in World War II that was called the USS Cassiopeia. Oh, fun. So there you go. There's some fun stuff mm -hmm. about Cassiopeia. Neat. So we cut over to the SGC, and Sam is giving the team a rundown on this object that was spotted by this amateur astronomer. It's an asteroid that they estimate to be 137 kilometers from end to end. It's a miracle it was spotted at all due to its irregular trajectory, she says. Oh. So to give you an idea of like what 137 kilometers is and like how big this asteroid is, the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs was estimated to be about 10 kilometers from end to end. Oh, man. And so 137 kilometers is about 85 miles, which is approximately the distance from Chicago to Milwaukee. So oh, man. That's big. This is massive. That's a big, big yes. asteroid. Yes. Killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jack kind of leans over to Daniel's like, I've seen this movie. It hits Paris. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Yeah. There's, there's a first yeah. Armageddon joke. Uh yeah. <laughs> Sam corrects him that it will actually hit somewhere in the Arctic Circle. And somehow only the SGC knows about it because they've persuaded that civilian out at the pond to keep quiet about it. And luckily, now, now that they so, have this. Yeah, how yeah. do you think they persuaded him? Did they. Money. Did they like. Was it money or was it like. I will threaten you with so many lawsuits you won't even remember your name anymore? Or like what. Do you think it was happy persuasion or like not happy persuasion? <laughs> I I think for this guy, he seems like the happy persuasion dude. And if you tried the bad persuasion, he'd be like, I'm calling my lawyer right now. He seems yeah, like that true. kind of guy. So, that's and true. you know, they may, maybe they let him name it as well. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do. Yep. Uh, so luckily now that they have the Stargate, they might actually be able to do something about it because they have friends with like spaceships and smarter than them. So yay. Uh, the Tok'ra though, haven't responded to any calls for help since the destruction of Ravana. And because earth is part of the protected planets treaty, the Asgard cannot step in to prevent natural disasters. Daniel seems sure somebody will help anyway, fingers crossed because otherwise in 11 days and 16 hours, all life on earth will be wiped out. Oh man. Did this yeah. make you think, like, what would I do with 11 days? I sit on my, I, I don't know <laughs> why. 
What can would you, you be do? the kind of would you be the kind of person that just goes out and goes like crazy and just does whatever you want, or would you be like meh? I think I'd be too paralyzed and overwhelmed to do anything. And then probably in the back of my mind, I'd be like, what if they were wrong and everything's fine? And then I've crapped the bed with everything. Yeah. Well, there is that. Yeah. What about you? What what would you do? Oh, man. I mean, I'd probably go slightly crazy, but I think I, too, would be like, what if they turn out to be wrong? And then I've told everybody what I really think of them. And that was not a good idea. (laughs) You know, kind of that sort of thing. Uh... Or like, what if I went out and spent all my money? Or what if I, you know, did all this yeah. stuff and then it's fine, maybe. Yeah, that'd be a difficult position to be in, I think. Yeah. Until <laughs> like 30 seconds before it hits and then I'd be like, I hate you all! <laughs> Screw you guys! No, I, I really wouldn't. I would tell everybody no. about this. Yeah. Go out with joy. Yes. Yes. That's a good idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. Go out with joy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so we come back from the opening credits and we see Jack pleading their case to the Asgard using the reasoning that the Gould had coerced the Tolans to send a bomb to Earth, as it was probably obvious the Gould have denied any involvement in that incident. The Asgard could call together an assembly of Asgard and Gould representatives as long as there's cooperating testimony from the Tolan about what happened. But hey, that's impossible because all of the Tolans are dead. How unfortunate. And Jack's like, Mm. and it'll be unfortunate when all of Earth is destroyed. And they're like, yes. So no help from the Asgard's coming. Right. Back in the briefing room, uh, Jack's talk with the Asgard did not go any better from the point where we left them. There were apparently comments made about Freyr's mother. (laughs) (laughs) I I looked this up and like she is, uh, Freyr's mother is just the unnamed sister wife of the god Njordur. Njordur. Njordur? So Njordur. Right. She doesn't okay. even have a name. She's just the sister wife of oh. the gods. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So what options are there at this point? Jack suggests just nuking it. Sam's like, we do have bombs big enough to do that, but we don't have any way to get the bomb to the asteroid. Daniel suggests they could maybe use that cargo ship that he and Jacob crashed on Ravana, which, yes, but it would need some major repairs since it y- 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 crashed on Nirvana. Right. Sam thinks they might be able to repair it in a couple days with the right people available. So Hammond's like, you've got it. Whoever you need, you got it. We can make that work. So if they do fix it, though, how long would it take to fly from Nirvana to wherever the asteroid is or will be at that point? And Sam's like, eight or nine days? So that's not a lot of wiggle room if things don't go perfectly to plan. So Hammond's like, then get to it. They'd leave yesterday. <laughs> yes. So as everyone goes to leave the briefing room, Hammond asks Jack to stay behind, and he tells him that the president has approved the usage of the office site to begin evacuations. Major Davis will be flying in to help oversee that, and he also adds that if their current plan is unsuccessful, that they are to then report to the office site and for Jack to assume command. That's in order. So... So we get to sometime later, down in the gate room, the wormholes open, and they're all getting ready to go. The warhead they put together is the equivalent of one billion tons of TNT, which I did That's some calcul. That's I, I did some calculations. So a billion tons of TNT is one thousand megatons. For comparison, the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was zero point zero one five megatons. So this is several orders of magnitude greater than that. 
little bit of a difference. A little bit. Yes. A little bit. One of the engineers, Spellman, tries to sort of back out at the last minute, and Jack tries to reassure him that it's fine. He does this every day, and Tillman's like, yeah, but I know exactly what happens to my, like, physical body when I go through the Stargate, and that just freaks me out, and I can't do it. But Sam and Jack just basically walk him up the ramp because they need him. He's the guy for the job, and they just, like, shove him through. (laughs) That was funny. So they get to the cargo ship and do a quick security check all as well. So first things first, auxiliary power, then the hyperdrive, then life support. Spellman just wants to know where the bathroom is. So, again, that was a question we had last week, or a suggestion that at some point Jacob was, like, returning from the bathroom to answer like Daniel calling from or like last answer a couple weeks ago. Um, so Sam does seem to show him where the bathroom is, which so, means there is one. There is a bathroom on board cargo ships. So yay. Yay. Um, we don't, Daniel, still don't know about motherships though. I mean, if there's one on a cargo ship, there's gotta be at least two on a mothership. Okay. At least maybe at a least. full bath and a half bath. Maybe. Yeah. Cause you gotta imagine <laughs> that armor gets a little stinky, you know? Yeah. 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 So Daniel's confident, confident that, you know, they'll get it fixed and it'll be okay. Jack is too, as is Tilk. Hmm. <laughs> Which is a recurring I know. part of the episode. We're like, I'm confident. Me too. As I also I. think this will be fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we get a quick shot of the asteroid hurtling through space before we cut to a montage. Montage. Yeah. Montage. I love a good montage. Me too. Uh, we see Sam and the various engineers making the repairs while Daniel reads, occasionally sleeps, and Jack just, like, looks bored. Okay, so we got to the repairs that seem to be done. Time to, like, get this thing going if they can. They did do a very thorough check, and there does not appear to be a recall device on board. Yes, like that one that was on the X-301, and Jack is, like, super thrilled to be reminded about that. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, here we go go to start it up and it kind of like you know sputters and stutters and starts a little bit but then it kind of goes dead okay try it again and yes good yay it worked the ship is online it's good to go yay so sam dismisses the engineers to the alpha site and she'll continue the other repairs on the way and i'm like couldn't just like one of the engineers stay to help sam because the rest of SG-1 can't do what she can. Like, wouldn't it be a little better if there was just yeah, maybe the other two really are just going to sit around watching her do whatever she did. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, like, we might get into it at the end, but, like, why is Daniel there at all? Like, I love Daniel. I wonder but, that, like, too. He would be much better suited, like, like back at the SGC or the Alpha site getting people oriented and, like, talking them through this because the people going to the Alpha site probably have no idea what the fuck is going on. So I wonder that, too. Also, both of those engineers really should have volunteered to stay. Of like, yes. this is the best chance we have. So we're yes. working on it. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So they head out. Sam questions Tilk to take it easy as they start to leave the planet because she's worried about the engines maybe burning out if they push it too hard too fast. And then they'll just crash back down to the planet before they can reach escape velocity. So... Daniel's confident that it'll all be fine. Jack is too, as is Dick. As is Dick. <laughs> as is Dick. Yes. There it is again. Back at the SGC, there are people in the gate room preparing for departure. We see Major Davis and Hammond come into the control room from up above, and Davis seems concerned that they haven't heard from SG-1 yet. And oh my god, hey, it's them on the radio! What? Yay! Timing is amazing. It's, I mean, they have the best timing. 
they what do. they do. So they it's should be. like it was written that way. But. It, I mean, it really does seem like their whole life is just scripted to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they should be reaching the asteroid very soon. And Hammond is very happy to hear that because the engineers showed up at the Alpha site 10 days ago. To my question, like, so do, like, does hyperspace alter how time is perceived? Like, does does SG-1 know it's been 10 days? I, I, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know how you would actually. Yes. That is a very big discussion, which we are never, ever going to be able to answer of. Okay. Time continues and space things and time things. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it plays into my whole, how do you know what an hour is on another planet? Okay. We'll just shove it in that box. How? Yep. Okay. (laughs) Star time. Um, Space time. What, What is it? Yeah. Star things. Time. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. Okay. So the ship's not doing great. It's kind of like creaking a bit, but they're given the go ahead to proceed with the mission. So they have about three and a half hours to go until the asteroid passes the fail safe point. And we we actually get the episode title in the episode. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so what exactly is the plan once they reach the asteroid? How are they actually going to achieve this goal of destroying slash diverting the asteroid. So the asteroid is covered in craters and cracks. Basically, they'll find the deepest one, fly into it, then use the rings to deposit the bomb onto the asteroid surface, which is uh, like sitting on a map. And Jack and Sam will then don spacesuits, walk the bomb as deep as it will go to get as close to the center of this asteroid as it can, set the timer, haul ass back to the ship. Good plan. It's fairly straightforward, so it has every chance of succeeding. Why would it not? Right, yes, which is why it goes terribly wrong. Of course, yes. The other possible complication is that at some point they will be passing through the Leonids, which is like a little asteroid belt. So anyone inside the ship should be fine because the ship has shields, but anyone out on the surface of the asteroid would need to be careful and like might need to like take cover somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the ship's groaning, shaking, not doing great. Sam and Jacko take a look, and there seems to be an overload building in the control crystals, and they do not have any backups. There's then a giant spark, which gets Sam, and she goes down. We have a yeah. quick, we have a quick cut back to the SGC where they have lost like communication and like just they don't know where the ship is. Basically, the ship is completely dark to them at the SGC. Sam's up, she's kind of shaky, but okay. Uh, the asteroid though is coming up fast though, like. Too fast, too fast. And the engines are offline. Sam suggests using the maneuvering thrusters, but those aren't doing anything. The SGC is able to get the ship back up via deep space tracking, but they also show it moving way too fast. We get like a a speed countdown from Sam when something of a miracle happens and they manage to line up exactly with a massive crater that gives them enough time to slow down sufficiently and come to a gentle stop. Oh, fantastic. It's almost as if it was written that way. Almost. like it was, I mean, it looks like maybe the engines came back up online or just the maneuvering thrusters were finally able to actually do something. I don't know. But yay. <laughs> Fine. Yay, everything's okay. At the SGC, though, Major Davis is talking with NASA, who believes that the ship crashed into the asteroid at over 60 meters per second. There's no visual confirmation of this. It's just a guess based on the trajectory and speed and all of that observable data that they did have at that point. 
the chance of any survivors is minimal, so it's time to call the president. Oops. Inside the cargo ship, there's not much working right now, but the bomb is still fine, and the ship is about five meters off the surface, and the rings will work at that distance so they can send the bomb down. As mentioned in the comic, just a reminder, like using rings, like just one set of rings to transport stuff was established in Tangent when Jacob like snags up Daniel and Sam on that surface of the planet directly into his cargo ship. So, ah, like, yes, that's true. As a reminder that, yes, this is a thing that rings can do. Within the universe. Yes. So it's like when you have a law case and you bring out like prior yes <laughs> prior established cases yes in in uh in cargo ship versus Jackson I don't yep. know. precedent yes yes precedent that's the word precedent yes. yes so Jack and Sam go get ready to suit up but there's like a wave of dizziness that comes over Sam so Jack orders her to stay on board and he and Tilk will take care of the bomb. Mag at the SGC, Hammond is talking on the red phone and he passes on NASA's assumption, but there is no evidence of any crash. So if SG-1 survived and complete the mission, there's no need to tell the public anything about what's going on. If they didn't, then it's too late to say anything because if they do say something, it would just cause a mass panic, which wouldn't do anyone any good anywhere. But whatever is going on, Hammond is staying at the SGC. Oh, man. Would you be pissed if there was an asteroid coming and nobody told you? Kind of. I'd be like, you had to. How did you not know? Somebody knew. Why didn't they say something? But what yeah. if they did it so that people wouldn't go mass, like mass hysteria crazy? I mean, that is a good point. So, you know, lessen the chances of, you know, a purge scenario <laughs> happening. You know, there would be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I'd, I'd still be a little pissed, but I might be like, I kind of get it, but also, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. So, Jack and Tilk are ready to go. They're in their, like, space suits, and just FYI, Christopher Judge and Regina Anderson hated those space suits. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like, did not want to be in them, hated it. Um, so, one good thing is, like, there's maybe a little bit of gravity on the asteroid, but also the asteroid has a lot of iron in it, and the boots of the spacesuit are magnetized, so they should be fine, and they don't have to route, like, you know, just floating off into space. No, that'd be good. Yeah. So, off they go. Sam is still concerned about their approach and what all happened with that, so she's going to go check on some things. And Jack and Tilk have made it as deep as they can, and they set the timer for two hours. Back on the ship, Sam has discovered that the asteroid's gravitational force is a lot stronger than it should be for its size and, like, composition. Which means that the very core of this has to be made of something other than nickel and iron. There are then some thumps heard outside, and it appears they've reached the Leonid belt. Sam warns Jack and Tilk to stay covered in the cave for a little bit longer. Jack asks about the shields, and she's trying, but again, that's one of the things that is not working anymore. So she's poking at the crystal. She asks Daniel to try and reroute power from the hyperdrive, but then there's a hull breach. Oh, crap. The venting atmosphere. That's not good. Daniel, like, starts burning something to make, smoke, to make smoke so they can find where exactly that breach is, which they find it, but then there's two more. <sighs> so Jack and Tilk are, like, back out of that cave they were in. They can't get a hold of Sam on the radio. They run... back to the ship, get into the airlock. Tilk notices that the interior of the ship has no atmosphere. So they head inside and search, but don't find them. 
Tilk pulls up the schematics and finds that there are breaches in the hull. Jack then has an idea, heads over to one of the escape pods and like kicks it a few times. And he gets some thumps in return. So they stashed themselves in the escape pod. So they're safe. They're fine. So Jack and Tilk are going to get to work patching up the ship. Yay! Because they have the suits. Yes. Back in Hammond's office, Dr. Fraser has stopped by to check on him because his name isn't on the evacuation list and it will not be. He will be staying. His decision is final. Aww. You would expect nothing less, but all. Uh, yeah. Here, here's a question I found somebody asking on the Gate World forum. Um, what about Cassandra, Janet's <laughs> daughter? Yes. She can't she can't go through the gate because of the bomb in her chest. If she goes near the Stargate, her heart explodes. You know, that's true. <laughs> Where's Cassandra? They're just resigning her to die with the Earth, apparently? Yep. Yeah. <sighs> That's always funny when they just kind of conveniently forget characters. Like, yeah. <sighs> uh, hmm. Whoops. Oopsie. So the ship is repaired. Jack and Tilk are out of their spacesuits, and they get Sam and Daniel out of the escape pods. Sam immediately heads to her laptop and is like, we can't leave just yet. And Daniel's like, don't, don't ask me. I have nothing to do with this. This is all Sam. But she really needs to figure out, like, what's going on with it, this asteroid and its gravity. Jack's annoyed. He's like, we came. We saw it. We planted the bomb. We had a little fun with the meteor shower. We went home. It's a great story. It is. And very good story. And then we get a quick shot of the asteroid continuing to approach Earth and getting quite close. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, aha, Sam was right. No one's excited to, fa- to find out that Sam is right because that means something really fucked up is going on. So what could it be? What could it be? It turns out that the core of this asteroid is almost entirely Naquita. Suspicious. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? But mm-hmm. You know what that means, right? You know what, right? You know, you know what that means. That because the cord sabotage. Yes, because Naquita does not occur naturally in the Milky Way. This means that the asteroid was deliberately put there by the Gould, and it gets around <gasps> that nasty little protected planets treaty thing. Since the Asgard can't intervene on natural disasters, hint, hint. Remember what Osiris promised the other Gould that Anubis would do before he rejoined the System Lords. <gasps> It all ties you together. You get that pesky earth. This is kind of part three of like Summit and Last Stand. This is like kind of the conclusion of that. A little bit. So what does that mean for what's happening? Well, Sam can't be 100% sure about all this, but it seems that like this is the most likely thing going on, that this is deliberate sabotage, basically. And if the bomb goes off, the Naquita on the asteroid will further enhance the already Naquita enhanced nuclear warhead. And basically, the blast would be enough to set the atmosphere on fire and boil the oceans. So that's awesome. I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead and assume that the people would very yes. much die. Yes. Yes. Also, if the asteroid gets past the failsafe point, yeah. Also, bad things. Tilk suggests that the asteroid even just being there might be enough to get the Asgard to intervene, but. They can't get in touch with the Asgard. The radio's not working, but maybe Sam can get it back up and working. So Jack and Tilk are going to head back to the bomb and, like, you know, deactivate it. So that's off the board. Good plan. We see Sam fiddling with stuff, and Daniel tries the radio, but no dice. There's just... 
too much NACWDA for the radio signal to be able to like get through and get out into space. Down in the cavern, we see maybe like a part of like the roof of it, like caved in and is sitting on the bomb. Luckily, there's like no gravity because it's space and Tilk easily just like lifts it and chucks it off to the side. Jack puts in the code to deactivate it, but doesn't work. We see there's like about four minutes to go. Jack calls back to Sam, who confirms the deactivation code. Nope, nothing. Okay, so Jack's going to have to deactivate the bomb manually. What? They get the casing open, and Sam tells Jack to cut the red wire. Uh, there, there's a little problem with that. All the wires are yellow. All of them. <sighs> it's a court. Somebody did that one on purpose. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, ra- random it is. Yay. Yep. Uh, we see he gets three of the wires cut. The timer's still going. Before making the last cut, Jack decides to take the opportunity to say that the bomb is very badly designed and he thinks they should say something when they get back. And Sam's <laughs> like, yes, uh, absolutely, yep. we will say something. Yep, Jack then good. kind of like waffles a bit between the two wires that are left. He cuts the top wire and it works. His timer stops. He Yay! did it. Yay! Yay! Back at the SGC, they're tracking the asteroid to the fail-safe position, and it passes it. So, General Hammond orders. Yes, General Hammond orders Major Davis and Sergeant Davis to head out with the last group to the Alpha site. Hammond is staying because he has not been relieved of command. Oh. So again, for the third, third, fourth time. Oh. Hmm. Hammond. Up on the cargo ship, the radio is not working as they need it to. So right now, there are two options. They can use what little power they have to fly to an unoccupied planet with the gate, head to the Alpha site, dooming all of Earth. Or they can try and just fly up off of the asteroid and hope that the Asgard can pick up the radio signal and come help. But sounds like there's not enough time for that. And Jack's like, what about option three? There's there's no option three. There's so. always an option three. Seriously, well, yeah, I mean, Dan- Daniel might have an idea for an option three. That's, that's so, why Daniel's there. Yes. So <laughs> as Tilk said, Naquita isn't native to the Milky Way, which means the Gould had to put the asteroid here via, like, towing it through hyperspace. And they're, and everybody else, and, like, Tilk and Sam and Dan are like, ah, yes, that's it. Of course. That's so smart. Of course we can do that. And Jack's like, what? do what? He's just, you know, he's a little... The, the what little now? So the new plan is to expand the hyperspace bubble of the cargo ship to encompass the asteroid as a whole, jump into hyperspace at the last possible second, and basically ride the asteroid through Earth, which is just the craziest thing ever. But it's so crazy, it might just work. I would have loved to have been in the writer's room for that that one where someone was just like, okay, go with me on this. What if? (laughs) Well, this is yeah. This is the Stargate twist on the asteroid coming to destroy Earth thing. Yep. They ride it hyperspace style through the planet. Through the planet. We're not going around the planet. We're going through the planet. Yep. So this would take like every scrap of power that the ship has left, which might cause the engines to explode. That would be bad. And if the engines don't explode the engines would be kaput anyway and they would just have a couple hours of life support left and that would be it for them 
but Earth would be saved, Earth would be fine, so that's the plan. Yeah. Uh, we see the asteroid very close to Earth, and Hammond is in the control room all by himself. In the SGC, there's nobody else there, and there's a, we have a one-minute timer left. Like you do. So, yep. So inside the cargo ship, uh, it's it's very close. It's, like, so, so close to Earth that everybody's like, can we can we go now, Sam? Now? Is it time now? And mm-hmm. we get one of my favorite lines of Jack going, Carter, I can see my house. Yes, I like that. Which my question is, I mean, I he literally can't see his house. But given how close it is, how does nobody on, on that side of the planet look up and go, what the fuck is that? Because it is big enough, somebody should be able to just look up in the sky without a telescope and be, what the fuck is that? Maybe they did. What's the uh, what's the usual sci-fi excuse that they give for everything? Just like, it's a gas leak? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a gas something in the sky. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would believe that. Maybe. It was a weird storm cloud. There you go. Yes, weird storm cloud. And what? Where? What are those? The like the big mylar space balloons, weather balloon, maybe. There you go. I don't know. Um, In a but, gas leak. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like it's real close. They need to do it very soon. But Sam's like, if we do it too soon, then they might reappear inside the Earth. And that would just be, like, super bad. That would just be, like, the worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. All right, here we go. And now. So, ship enters hyperspace. It exits hyperspace. And they made it. It worked. They're on their side <gasps> of the planet. Yay! Plan Yay. 3. Works every time. Yay. Yay. Is, plan, is plan 3, like, plan M? Where, you, like, Hardison gets naked in plan M? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. I thought it would have been funny if they would have, like... Uh, come right through the planet and then like landed right on the moon. <laughs> but that probably would have been yeah. not a good idea for the asteroid, but it still would have been funny. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of questionable things going on with things like the tides on Earth should be super fucked up. Like those two objects are close enough to each other. The gravity of both of those objects should be like totally met. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. astrophysics that just is hand waved yeah. away. And we don't know where the moon was in that scenario, did we? We do we do see the moon at some point and they it's like they go through the earth and then pass the moon. So they yeah, but they they were apparently not in line with the moon, but they were headed towards it. Okay. So yeah. Zoe Hammond is on the red phone again. Nobody's sure exactly what happened. Maybe it was the Asgard, but Hammond is sure that SG one had something to do with it. Of course they did. So back on the cargo ship, two hours of life support. Cool. Then, then, then what? Jack thinks Hammond will find them. Daniel's confident. Sam is too, as is Tilk. <laughs> Running jokes are funny. Yay! Yes, and they did it three times. Three times is the magic number. So yeah. Yep. Something on the ship then starts beeping, and the sensors have picked up another cargo ship approaching. Then the video screen pops up, and it's the Tok'ra, Jalen specifically. They what? got the, discre- the they got the distress call, came as soon as they could. Can they help? And Jack's like, sure, mm-hmm, you can. We already solved the problem, but sure, why not? We we could use your help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can take them home, of course. Yes. Yes. Obviously. Yes. Yeah. The end. Yay! They saved the world! Again. Yay! 
So I, I have one final sort sort of fun fact. Um, so this asteroid was put in, in our galaxy by Anubis, and there is an actual asteroid called Anubis. Oh, really? In real, yes. It is specifically, it's called 1912 Anubis. It's part of the Coronis asteroid cluster on the outer edges of like our typical like asteroid belt. It was discovered on September 24th, 1960 by astronomers Ingrid and Cornelis van Houten at the Leiden Observatory in the Netherlands, working in conjunction with Tom Gerrels, who took the photos of it from the Palomar Observatory in California. At the same time, they also discovered three other asteroids, naming them 1923 Osiris, 1924 Horus, and 5011 Ptah. 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 So all named after Egyptian gods and goddesses. Oh, fantastic. There you go. There's a final fun fact. There's an actual asteroid named Anubis out there. Huh. Mm -hmm. That's fun. Yep. And there was, oh, it was just a couple years ago that was... um, why am I blanking on his name who Tilk served? Apophis? Apophis. That's it. Yes. There is also a, an Apophis. God, I think that's the first time that's ever happened. Let's all wow. remember this moment. Brain fart city over here. Wow. All four of you that are listening, remember <laughs> this moment. That I actually remembered something when Carrie had a blank. I'm so Yee-hoo. ashamed. I'm sorry. I've let you all down. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I still think Daniel would have been better served staying at the base and helping with the evacuation. And, you know, I think we could have maybe gotten some more stuff from that storyline, maybe. But, yeah, I don't I don't know why Daniel was there on the cargo ship with them. Yeah. And, and the other two engineers definitely should have volunteered to stay, given that that was the best option to save the planet. Yes. Like this, this is really wanted to be a part of that one. This is an engineering problem. Yes. Period. Yeah. Like, I get Jack being there, because Sam's there. Maybe Tilk, because he's big and strong and can lift things if need be. But, yeah. I love you, Daniel, but you are useless here in this time and place. Well, that's an interesting question, then. Would... If they had asked Daniel, like, the rest of your team is going to go fix the ship, but you are better served on the Alpha site helping people, do you think he actually um, would have done it? Or would he just have been like, um, nope? I mean, that's, I'm gonna that's go help very my team true. Thing. That's very true. Dan- yeah. Daniel would have been like, you want, no, I'm, go- I'm going with them. I'll- yeah. Okay. So I can buy with- it from that perspective. Okay. Let's go with that's what happened. Okay. I like, I can make that work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because the conversation would have consisted, Daniel, your talents are way better served in this other place. Nope, I'm going to help my team. Really? Because there's not a whole lot you could do while watching Sam repair the ship. That's cool. I don't care. I'm going. Moral support. Because <laughs> Daniel's confident. That's what Daniel is. Daniel's confident. <laughs> yes. Way to go, Daniel. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the episode title, Fail Safe. Uh, I did some research on this because there's a few different like fail-safe terms. They're sort of like a fail-safe on an object itself. But here we're talking sort of about a fail-safe point. So this was first used like during the Cold War where a fail-safe point 
was the term used for the point of no return for American Strategic Air Command nuclear bombers just outside of Soviet airspace. In the event of receiving an attack order, the bombers were required to basically kind of linger around that fail-safe point and that like not actually enter Soviet airspace and wait for a second confirming order. Uh, until that second order was received, they could not arm their bombs or proceed any further. This design was to prevent any single failure of the American consent of the American command system leading to nuclear war. So it's basically sort of like checks and balances kind of thing. Okay. Um, the, the sense of the term entered American popular lexicon with the publishing of the 1962 novel Failsafe, which took place during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Ah, okay. Go there you go. I, th- I, think, I think it works for this episode. Yeah. I, I also think extreme measures. What else? I know. It's, it's no extreme measures. <laughs> it's totally I mean, going to work. Totally going to work, yeah. As far as foreign territory titles, in French, this was called Impact. Okay. In Hungarian, it was called Safety Limit. In Czech, it was called Breaking Point. And then the Germans just got right to it and called it the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been funny if the other things were like Deep Impact, Armageddon. What are the other ones they came out? Day After Tomorrow. Day After Tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a crater something? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Possibly. Maybe. But so there you go. That's the episode for you. I liked it, though. It was, you know, it still kind of had to do with the overall storyline, but it was kind of an an out of the box fresh. Let's do something yeah. a little different for a change. Yeah. It was Let's a bit save of a little... the world for once. <laughs> Again. Yes. The eight millionth time. But you know, creatively this time. It was, yes. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's good. All right. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening. You can find us on Instagram at SG underscore rewatch and now on Discord. Check for the link in the show notes. Or you can send us an email at woo, that's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for The Warrior. Bye. Bye.